0: Well, if you're looking at the bulletin, you see this, YBH, you probably have never seen a sermon title with an abbreviation. Have you? Is, that a, is this a first for you? It was a first for me. Any guesses on what YBH stands for? You be home. You be, <laughs> be bad. Yeah. What else? What's that? You, you belong here. Interesting. Someone this uh, first ever said yellow-bellied hillbillies. <laughs> you what? Yeah, you're Bridgewood Home. That's pretty cool. Yogi Bear's home. That's true. Wow, you guys are cranking them out. You're wait. Actually, what it's from is from Rick Warren. Do you know who Rick Warren is? Rick Warren is uh, uh, probably one of the premier evangelical leaders in our country, in the world, actually. Um, Saddleback Church in California. And Rick was a lot like Brendan. He grew up in a pastor's home, heard sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And he says his dad was a great speaker and they had a lot of great speakers come through and speak at their church. But he started to notice about the time you graduating seniors, uh, right about that time, he started noticing that often what would happen is preachers would preach a great message which would lift up a high ideal like you should have a good marriage does everyone agree you should have a good Christian marriage right but Rick would write down in his notebook he'd write Rybh, yeah but how and he'd say you should be a a good discipler and he'd go yeah but how and over and over again he realized he was starving for some practical answers yeah but how And we've been talking to you about discipleship, and I've been thinking, you know, we probably should go back to the passage that Brendan started to open up and get some answers to the yeah, but how? And we've been trying to get practical. Because, for example, for the last year and a half, Brendan or I would ask you two questions. You know what they are? What are they? The two questions that come up every Sunday. What is God saying to you? And... What are you going to do about it? Trying to get practical. And the passage that we're going to look at today gives us lots of things to practice. And I'm hoping that we can walk through and you really get a sense of, okay, this discipleship thing, I'm starting to see this is how I could do it. Before we get into it, I want to just cover some groundwork because I think it's important to have a foundation and you know, gathering from some of the messages and some of the ideas. So I just want to first say, what is discipleship? Because we've had a lot of people say, well, what is it? What does it mean to be a disciple? And probably the simplest way to say it is how Jesus said it, follow me. That's what Jesus was always doing. And then later Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so it's not rocket science. It's really as practical and as simple as the game that we used to play as kids, like follow the leader. So if I say, Dave, would you please put down your pad for a second? Follow me. Follow me, Kate. Follow me, Tom. Follow me. Look at these brave souls that get out. Is this very hard? Pretty easy so far, isn't it? Wait till I have my son, who's the fitness trainer, come up and have us do some exercises. See, they're just following. They've got identified to following me, so now I'll give you an idea of how intimidating this crowd is. Come on, follow me. Follow me, Dave. Up here. Take a look at this bunch. They're scary, aren't they? (laughs) So they're following. Following me. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. Give these guys a hand. They did a good job following. Da-da-da-da. Great. Thank you for being willing. If it's that simple, why does it seem like it's so hard? Any ideas? If it's that simple as following Jesus, what happens? Someone said the word. Distractions. Yeah. That's like trying to get your kids to follow you in the grocery store. What do they put right by the register? Moms especially. Candy. Major distraction. I watch a kid at Target stage like a 1960s peace riot right there for a Reese's peanut butter cup. Must have, you know. So distractions are part of it, but here's the, here's the other thing that I, I think we have to reckon with, and don't, don't go in the cellar of shame on this thing, but our natures just don't like to follow, And especially when it comes to the area of trust and faith. We'll talk more about this in a minute, but hold that kind of in the front part of your brain, that our natures get in the way. We like to have it our way, if we're really honest about it, and so... In light of that comment, I want to go a little bit further and talk to you about the challenge of following, and it's a big one. All God's assignments are God-sized, and so the idea of following God becomes a huge challenge, but I want you to realize something that if you're going to be a disciple, it doesn't mean you have to go to Africa, does it? I mean, it's not like, okay, if you're going to give your life to Jesus, get ready to move to Kenya. It, it doesn't, that's not the deal. The day-to-day life of a disciple still, though, is very challenging for us. For example, not saying the last word to your spouse in one of those discussion times because Jesus is leading you not to. That's hard. Walking across the room and introducing yourself to a stranger, even though you go to the same church, is hard, isn't it? And sometimes you just don't want to do it isn't this true and so what i want us to realize is the challenge that that the discipleship calls us to takes us to a place where we realize Ugh, it's going to take some grace for me to follow you jesus in this direction whether it's asking forgiveness or taking on a new ministry or volunteering in a space or sitting with a person who no one else wants to sit with at school or at work, whatever it is, there's this place that faith takes us and it looks and feels like this. When people say, what does it look like to live by faith? I always think of this girl on the slide. Doesn't it look like that? It's ah! We go, We go screaming with Jesus. It just seems like it takes us so far out of our comfort zone. And you've heard me talk about this, this idea of we have this me zone. We love the me zone. It's what we know. It's what we do. It's what Mark's all about. It's what Mark likes to do. And we love to camp in the me zone. But Jesus is always saying, get out of the boat. Mark. You're like, oh, I
1: like the me zone. I like it
0: here. And in and, and times when we just decide that we're going to make the jump and we do it without Jesus, we just say we're going to do something like go to Africa with no call, you wind up in the distress zone. But the, the thing that happens in our life because we tend to stay in that comfort zone because what we know is what we know. What we know is what, is what we know. It's what we do. And when Jesus calls us to learn something new and to get out you are stepping out into the unknown and all of that feels distressful and so usually what happens to us is this we're swinging back and forth we step out and we we lose track of where Jesus is it feels distressful we go back to comfort and hide just go oh man I don't know if I'll ever do that again We've all done the things where we've said, oh, I think I should join a small group. And we go to the small group from hell. And it's just like, ah, I'll never do that again. Or we decided we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to go share our faith with a neighbor and it does not go well. And that, in that moment then, what do we do? We go back to the comfort zone, don't we? Am I the only one doing this? Talk to me. And there's this pendulum swing that happens. And we have to be careful That we don't just live between the two zones, jumping from comfort because we feel like we should, we must, and we jump out into a distressful place. What Brendan was talking about several weeks ago is so key. We are to go with Jesus. When you are with Him, it's a whole different experience. When you are with the Lord, there is grace. When you are with, there's an awareness, there's a safety, there's a peace, there's a security. And even though you might still have butterflies, I often do, there's a capacity to step into it because you are with him. Do you get this? Now, I want you to see something though because in the text that we're going to read, we're going to run into Peter who's a very different Peter. When we last left, Peter in the Gospels, he was the guy that was the recovering denier, right? Not once, not twice, three times he denies Jesus. Anybody here done that lately? I mean, so, but all of a sudden, when you open up the book of Acts, and and you're reading the first chapter, you go, whoa, wait a second, it's Peter who's taking the lead? And then Pentecost happens, which is Pentecost Sunday, the spirit falls. Who stands up to address the crowd? Peter. And he preaches quite a sermon. And you go, what happened to this dude? And when we get to the text we talk about today, Peter and John are going to pray. It's Peter who takes the initiative. You know the story, because we talked about it last week. This guy's here. And you go, what happened to him? What happened to him? And what happened to him has to happen to us because in order for us to have the security to step out we really need to surrender we really need to give ourselves over to the Lord and to say Lord I'm yours and we need to keep surrendering the Christian surrender isn't a one and done deal it is today will I surrender today in fact not even today it's in the moment that I hear the call, will I surrender and go? And I think what keeps us surrendering is, keeps us from surrendering is when we get mispositioned. Because I agree with Brendan, with Jesus is the key. But sometimes we think we're with God, but we're mispositioned. I was going to show you this clip this morning, but I just thought it would take much time. But this is, I maybe mean, you've heard of this, an 80-year-old woman on her birthday, decided she wanted to go parajumping, parachuting. 80 years old. And so as the clip happens, she jumps out of the plane and her harness comes off. And she is literally hanging upside down with one hand grabbing the guy that's supposed to be saving her life. 80 years old. She was mispositioned. That's not how you're supposed to do it. She made it. She survived, so don't worry about the 80-year-old lady. And actually, she turned 81 this year, and she got to drive a race car on a track. I don't know if she's psychotic or what her deal is. But in Christianity, we get mispositioned. Let me give you some idea. One misposition is we get under God. We begin to think that our relationship with God is like this.
1: Spencer!
0: Do it! that's a little dramatic (laughs) but we feel like the only way that we can relate to God is we're under his thumb in this kind of a relationship you know your walk is marked with fatigue discouragement guilt and stress you just feel like man I just I can't make him happy and oftentimes when we get in that cycle, we get into this other misposition. This is a very popular one for Christians, where we're working for God. I don't know where we get the idea that we could somehow do something God can't. Like, I'll do that for you, God. Like, we could do it better. But anyhow, we get in this mindset as Christians, like we've got to do it for God. And so we do, 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 but we don't have any joy. We look like we're baptized in lemon juice. It's not good and so we become this army of Martha's because we're doing, doing 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 but there's not joy, there's not a sense of with God it's always for God. I'm for God and it's a misposition. If you're there no wonder you don't want to surrender freely. The other one that I see a lot these days is we're chasing after God we can kinda see him way off in the distance, and we think, oh, if I just run hard enough, if I just pray hard enough, if I just fast long enough, if I just lift my hands, if I just dance, if I do da, 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 all this stuff, somehow I could just get close enough to touch Him. And we chase, chase, chase. This misposition as disciples gets us absolutely wiped out, exhausted, discouraged. Many people that I know that I've been a Christian now for 32 years. Many of the people that I started the race with have fallen into this, and very quickly, there is no me on the picture anymore. They just give up. I can't quite catch them. It's a misposition because the reality of the gospel is over and over and over again. 467 times Scripture says this to you, fear not. Why? I'm with you. You think he's trying to get our attention. But he wants us to realize, I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm over you. I'm under you. I'm paving the way for you. Stay with me. Be with me. This is the way we're supposed to work. It's together. I'm with you. And so the text that we're going to look at now, having laid a little bit of this foundation, in fact, I just want to pause for a moment. Can I? And I want you to pray with me. And this is just in the privacy of your own heart. Lord, if we're mispositioned and we're like that poor lady <laughs> hanging on by this strap, we either feel under or we feel like we're working for you all the time or we're chasing like man. Lord, begin to work in our hearts now. It's just between me and you. Get us in the right position. Amen. So as we look at the text, there are some principles that teach us certain practices. And if you do these practices, they're the yeah, but how. Principles are eternal, unchanging. They're written. They're true, no matter what. Practices are adapted. They're changed. They're personalized. So you take the principle of God and you develop a practice to respond to it. You'll understand this as we go through. Open your Bibles to Acts 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to read the text that Brendan worked from last week and we will work from again this week. Starting in verse 1, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. By the way, at the temple there, there were different times. So they had morning service, they had an afternoon service, they had an evening service in the Jewish tradition. And the disciples were thinking, Christianity is just an extension of this, so they're still going to the temple to pray. Number two, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate, called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John, and Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly, the man's feet and ankles became strong. So let's take this text apart. There's going to be a verse that offers us a principle that also invites us to practice a certain thing. And as we do this, you know, I'm going to unpack it. There's going to be some information. Be listening in your heart of hearts. Lord, what is it that you want me to pay attention to? Because we want to hear what God is saying. And then we want to do it. We want to get on board. So the first principle that we see here is that we need to learn how to get what you need so you can give what you should. We need to be able to get a download in the moment that we, we need to begin to do the discipleship thing. If you're going to be the kind of spouse that doesn't feel like they have to get the last word in a discussion and you need to follow Jesus in that, at that moment, you need strength and grace to help you do what you can't do on your own. And you need to know how to get it. If you are going to walk across the room and introduce yourself to someone when you're terrified, when you're an introvert like me and you're going to do it, you need to know how to get real grace and strength in that moment. If we're going to be disciples that get out of our comfort zone and into the learning faith zone, if we're going to get out of the boat, we need to know how to get grace that actually enables us to do that. Amen? Is that not true? Because in the moment, otherwise it's just me trying to do it when what God is inviting me is through him to experience it. And so what you see is you see Peter and John, their practice was a time of prayer. This is the Peter who now realizes I can't do anything apart from Jesus. I've got to be able to connect with God in a very real way. I really need to be able to practice prayer in a way that I do what Brennan preached about several weeks ago where there's a conscious connection with Jesus. Pause. People, I don't know why we call them quiet times. They should not be quiet. They should not be quiet. It doesn't have to be bombastic. But we're not done until we've heard something. We've connected somehow to the living God, right? So the question that I have for you is, are you, first of all, making time, like Peter and John did, are you making time to get to a place where you and God connect? And when you walk away from that time, You consciously know, I've just met with God. Now, I have to be honest with you, as a pastor, it's not like we get bonus bucks or something from God. I have some mornings that are not so good. I have some mornings where I feel like this. And those mornings when I feel like this, ooh, I want to stay there. I'm like Peter. When the Lord is up and he's being glorified, he goes, this is a good place to be. Let's build some, t- some houses here and hang out. But it's the ongoing lifestyle practice. Am I continuing to seek after the Lord in a way where I get grace and strength so in the moment I need it, I got it? If you don't know how to do that, no shame. I went a good 15 years without really having someone help me understand this. And it wasn't until a man named Gary Thomas and his book and some things where I began to understand, ah, there are certain ways that we connect better with God than other ways. For some people, worship, bam. You start worshiping, their hands go up, and they're like, woo, let's go. For me, it's nature. i Am on sabbatical? I mean, the, the staff was kidding me, like, did you sleep outside? But I... I love to be outside. The moment I walk into the woods, I'm like, hello, God. <laughs> when I'm on the paddleboard and I'm just floating along, I'm, like, I'm just like, whoa. You could sing the hallelujah chorus. I mean, it's, for me, it's where I connect. And so, if you don't regularly connect, it's a problem. And you know what I realized? When I went over my calendar and I looked at my journal, for the last two years, I was not connecting with God the way I need to. No wonder my soul was dry. This is not a shame thing, people. This is a very practical thing. You cannot be a disciple if you are not connecting with God in a way that feeds your soul. It's impossible. You'll be mispositioned. You'll feel like all you got to do is work for him, or he's always on top of you, bugging you, or you're trying to chase him down and you can't catch him. So listen to me. If you... Honestly, don't know what that looks like or how you could do that. Would you please talk to me? Don't go home and pretend like everything's okay. It's not. I may not have the answer, but I might have some suggestions that lead you to an answer. But listen, folks, job number one is connect with Him, right? We've got to do it. The second principle that we see in this text is that, You can only be where you are. And you might go, that's a weird principle. But the reality is, is you can only be where you are. You can only be present where you are. And in this crazy world, we're always rushing, rushing, rushing. We like to think we can multitask. But all my neuroscience friends say, no, 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 you can't. All you multitaskers in the room, and I know you're here, you can't. They love to find people who go, I can multitask. And they say, come on into the lab. And they have ways of proving to you, you can't. Your abilities, your focus, your memory, your capacity, all goes downhill when you start doing this. You must learn to be present. You see, when, Pete, when he saw Peter and John, and they were going to pray, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John, and they said, look at us. They paused, bam, Stop! And you, you know you struggle with this. I was saying this to the first service. You know, you come in and you got so much to do. So you just, you left the office, you're kind of crazy, running. You throw your car keys someplace, you don't know where. You go, you grab something, you make a quick lunch, you stuff half a sandwich in your face, you run back on, you go, Keys, keys. Some demon took my keys. In the name of Jesus, bring those keys back. You know, No! You just weren't there, right? Do you guys get it? You're just not there. In order to know, you've got to put them down and go, I'm present. I'm focused. Stay, keys. Demons get away. And you know. Are you with me? You see, in order to really practice this, you really have to be present. It's, it's so key. And you see Peter and John doing that. They're putting the brakes on it. So... The practice you have to develop is pausing. Years ago, a missionary um, was on a a busy... He was setting up radio stations in unreached areas of Africa. And uh, they were just beset with all kinds of flooding problems and things. So he's pushing his people as they're carrying this radio equipment through some pretty hard terrain. And... um, Push day one, day two they're pushing, day three all of a sudden, all of his workers set all the bags down and sit on top of the bags. And this Christian missionary he's panicking, he goes, what, what's going on? He tries to talk to them, they don't speak his language, you know. so he asks the interpreter, he says, would you talk to them? What's wrong? We've got to get going, would you talk to them? And so the interpreter goes and he talks to them, and he goes back to the missionary and he said, what'd you find out? And he said, well, this is what they told me. They're waiting for their souls to catch up. I want to thank you for giving me a month to let my soul catch up. I'd lost it. There were parts of me that weren't parts of me anymore. There were things that, you know, i just become numb. And the only way that we can recover such beautiful things as really your soul and your connection with Jesus is to stop. And the first two weeks were like kind of a a good long vacation. I mean, a two-week vacation is a long time, right? And you do, you notice, you kind of unwind. But the second two weeks were beautiful. I did not think about anything but Jesus, honestly. Honestly. I didn't worry about my email. Didn't check it. Didn't think about it. I didn't think about budgets. I didn't think about fall. I didn't think about, all I thought about was Jesus. And I was unharnessed. I would wish for every one of you to somehow, some way, have a time like that. But I think the genius of God was, once a week, do a Sabbath. And I would say to you, do you do that? Do you honestly take a day where you stop? Some of my Sabbath coaches, were, they were crazy. When they, when they were coaching me into it, I thought, you guys are like Sabbath on steroids. Slow down. You know, you heard Ned Barubi here one Sunday. The guy's like, whoa, Ned, easy, down boy. But one of his friends was talking to me, and he said, Mark, do you realize this, that God told Israel every seventh year Give that field a rest. Don't plant anything. And you're talking to an agrarian society. They depend on what they grow. Once every seven years. They never did it. They never did it. And do you know what? When you add up the years that they were in exile, it was as many years as they should have taken off. One way or another, God will give you a Sabbath. You don't want to go into exile, people. As the rappers say, you feel me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, we have to learn. We have to practice pause. And I, I'm not that good at it. I'm really not. And um, so I'm, I'm learning to practice at mealtimes. I pause. What's my RPMs doing? After the meal, when I get ready to go back to stuff, am I racing? Because I tend to go, let's, let's, you know, do you do that? Okay, here we go. And every time you're doing that, you're listening to adrenaline and you're not really walking in rhythm and grace and peace. So pause. Principle number three. You don't know what you have until you give it away. The gospel is all about giving. You won't have any idea about the blessing of your spiritual gifts, the blessing of your God, the blessing of what the Christian life is, if you don't give it away. The gospel is all about giving. God so loved the world, he gave. Jesus tells us, freely you have received, so freely give. It's all about giving, and we have to learn to give it away. And the key here is that we can only give away what we have. So Peter says, he says, listen, I don't have any money, dude, but what I do have, I give you. And the reality is, is that We've got to practice a way that we give things that's not just a giving away a thing, but giving away who we are. So the practice that I add to this is a little unusual. It's practice watching for people of peace. You see, Christianity is a religion about relationships, isn't it? It's about a relationship with God. Hear, oh Israel, love the God, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself all about relationships. When you talk about giving, there's got to be a sense of, God, who are you asking us to give our lives to? If we're really going to do discipleship, we've got to have a sense of who is God connecting us to. Because if we, if we believe what 1 Corinthians 12 says and Romans 12 both, God is arranging the body. He's fitting us with different people. And so you really need to get in the practice of watching For who God has sent to you and who he's sending to you. So what you see here is Peter and John, people of peace. As they go to pray, there's a holy interruption and they pause. There's a man God is sending to them. And now what they need to do is give to that person. So this whole concept of people of peace is the idea of asking the question over and over again, who is God sending me to? When you walk out from here to there, if you pause and say, Lord, in this room right now, who would you send me to? It'd be beautiful. It'd be a great start. Launch. Or, who is God sending to you? Both happen. And what we need to do in the rhythm of discipleship is to begin to recognize, Lord, who would you have me go to or who who are you sending? then there's a connection that happens. Does that make sense to you folks? And so what you see Jesus doing is he's walking through the, the world. He's got these 12 people that he feels a unique call to, minister to, and with. And as we go on from here, what we want to do is say, Lord, who is this that we can connect with? Make sense? Last principle. And it's an important one because about this time you're like, wow, Mark, this is a lot of information. Can we, you know stop here it's the realization that in all of discipleship giving gives there's no way you can outgive god there's no way that you can bless in a way that you're not blessed back you see in this moment when peter and john stop and they pray for this guy and he's healed do you think that that's like a ho hum moment you know, like, well just another day at church how was church today blah, blah, blah. And this guy got healed. He was lame for 40 years. No biggie. You think that's what I was like? What would you do? I mean, the most amazing healing that I've ever seen, and this, this blew my mind, was at a camp where a kid had broke his arm and the bone was through the skin. And we gathered around and we prayed, and I saw with my eyes the skin close and the bone heal. And it was so mind-boggling, I wanted to throw up. It was like, whoa, But does Jesus heal? guess so. Do you think I just kind of went back to my cabin? and I was like, that's a snooze button. Just healing arms, whoopee ding dong. It's electrifying, right? And when you give and you see the dynamic of what happens as you give, it's amazing. And sometimes it's just simple stuff. Ben and I were in Target and he makes fun of me. He's like, Dad, you just... Always are schmoozing with people. I'm not trying to schmooze with people. but There's this lady, and you could tell she's having a bad day. In fact, she kept telling us, didn't she, Ben? This is such a bad day. And, you know. So she helped us find the things, and she came and she checked on us. And I just, I slapped her high five, and we walked away, and she goes, you made my day. And I thought, seriously? A high five made your day? You know, but it's just a moment, right? It giving is electrifying. It's contagious. It's good, isn't it? So as we seek to give ourselves in discipleship and move in that, we should expect to receive some. So we just want to keep practicing giving. Lord, how do you want me to give myself away? It's a big deal. And we keep asking the Lord over and over again, Lord, who are you sending me to? Is this person, are they sent from you? What do I do? Now I want to give you uh, a great and funny story of Tony Campolo that kind of packages this so you can see what would it look like if based on these principles I did some of these practices, what would happen? You ready? And I'm closing with this. Tony Campolo has uh, been a preacher for a long time. He's a sociology professor. Um, actually, was at the school where Brendan did his undergrad. And um, Tony is not a Pentecostal, but he loves preaching it pentecostal churches because he says those pentecostals they pray like they believe it and so he, he loved going there and uh he was at this pentecostal church and they said brother tony can we pray for you sure so they took him in this back room and they laid their hands on him like good pentecostals and they start praying away and praying long and strong and all of a sudden this guy starts praying something that seems so random to tony this is what he prays he he says uh I've got to find on my notes. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stolfus. And Tony's like, Charlie Stolfus? You're praying for Tony Campolo. He says, he lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And Tony remembers at this point thinking, you know, dude, God knows where this fellow lives. You don't have to give him directions to his house. But he keeps praying. He says, Lord, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and three kids. Step in, do something, God. Bring that family back together. Finally, they stop praying. Tony preaches, he finishes the the service, gets back in the car, and he's like, whew, I don't know, this Charlie Stilfus thing is weird, and he's driving down the Pennsylvania Turnpike when he sees a hitchhiker. And Tony Campolo, you know, he's a radical dude, so he pulls over to pick him up. Guy gets in his car, he goes, hey, I'm Tony Campolo. Guess who he was? (laughs) Charlie Stilfus. Tony goes, Bingo! He drives down to the next exit, he turns off, does a U-turn, starts heading back. Charlie slides down in the seat and goes, "Uh, hey, mister, where are you taking me? Tony looks at him with seriousness in his eyes and says, I'm taking you home. And he goes, why? And he goes, because you just left your wife and three kids. Well, his eyes about popped out of his head. (laughs) He just got real quiet and just sat the whole way. But he said what really drove him crazy was when he drove to the trailer park got on the right-hand side and drove right to the silver trailer and stopped. Charlie says, how do you know where I live? Tony says, God told me. So he gets out of the car. The wife comes running out. You came back, you came back. Charlie starts whispering to the wife, kind of pointing over at Tony, and her eyes get real big too. And Tony said, listen, you two, God sent me here so you guys can stay together. We're going to talk right now. You better believe they did. And they gave their life to the Lord. All because Tony paused. Tony followed. Tony gave. Amen? Something that is as simple as stopping to pick up a hitchhiker. I mean, I'm not advocating that because I know there can be some weird stuff. So don't email me this week about hitchhiking. The power of the story is the power of being with Jesus. Let's pray. As often when we get ready to take an offering, I, I want to urge you to, to just listen and ask the Lord, Lord, what are you asking me to offer up? You know what, what surrender do I need to make? What are you asking me to follow you in? Just be available. Lord, we thank you that this is not something that you're making us do. It really is something that we get to do. You work in us. You work through us. You work around us. You work for us. Thank you for that. Would you help us in this next season to be watching what you're doing, watching for people of peace, watching because we're pausing. So we give you this time as we go back to worship. We give this time and we continue to listen. And we thank you that you want to make us more like your son Jesus. Amen.
1: See you just to know you and to make you know we lift your name on high shine like the sun make darkness run